0: Hey, everyone. Um, Before we get to the podcast proper, we wanted to take this opportunity to talk a little bit bit about the current events going on in the world. Um, Obviously, there are mass protests and demonstrations currently ongoing following the, the killing of George Floyd by Minneapolis police, among so many other black people killed by police across the U.S., and Claudia and I stand in full solidarity with everyone campaigning against police and state violence in all its forms. Um, if you have the means, we definitely encourage you to contribute to bail funds or mutual aid networks in your local area that are making a difference to your your community, making it a more just, and equitable, and safer place. Um, given what we do in this podcast is talk about pop music, it's Crucial for us as well to recognise the foundational and completely instrumental influence of black artists and black musicians to the creation of the sort of music we love and talk about. Um, That's both on a historical, uh, that's both in a historical sense, but also in a very practical day to day sense. Um, This is a podcast about a track co-written by a black woman. We don't explicitly talk about that, but it's crucial to acknowledge the um, achievements and. Contributions of Black artists across all fields of human endeavor, as well as uh, an acknowledgement of the, the the ways that race figures critically into the way that all sorts of elements of music are understood and received and promoted into the wider world. um It's something we're thinking about really actively, and we hope that our sort of criticism, particularly when it gets to more contextual and more social stuff, that other podcasts we'll touch on more explicitly can be a part of the sort of project of thinking through how race and racism permeates and shapes our social and cultural world. Uh, thanks. Um, all cops are bastards. Take care. And um, please, if you can contribute and do the, do the research to find out what's going on in your local area, uh, we really, really encourage you to get involved with the people who are going to be making a difference to your own, your own life and experiences. And on the podcast. Hello and welcome to episode five of Stan Ontology, a K-pop track breakdown podcast. I am Michael or Regression. Find me on Twitter at Regression.
1: I'm Claudia, she her. Uh find me on Twitter at Claudia W-Y-Low.
0: You can find the show at Stan Ontology on Twitter.
1: A, a username that was unsurprisingly not taken.
0: <laughs> somehow the unique combination of our particular interest wasn't um, gobbled up um, yeah wow <laughs> um, but yeah um, it, th- we have a thing that we do very much stand in that we think it's a great track uh, a wonderful track that basically pulls together the, the the bits and pieces we've been talking about for the last few weeks it is Monster by XO so as as always let's start with a little bit of the biography um who the hell are EXO?
1: they are i wanted to call them the pre-bts bts
0: like yeah so like they didn't crack the u.s in the same way that bts did but they were very much as bts were like the hegemonic power of boy bands for of as of two to four two to five years ago
1: oh yeah yeah they were huge. They just didn't make it all the way over to the West, but like, you know, the rest of the globe. <laughs> the other side.
0: Yeah, we, we forget that the, the rest of the world exists. Mm-hmm. It's a thing we do. Mm-hmm. Um, started out with the incredibly weird format of having two separate groups with two different sets of members releasing the same music, one for mandarin audiences and another for korean audiences xok and xom
1: yeah so yeah th- those were called subunits and you know k for korean m for mandarin uh they initially had 12 members uh so big and of course split right down the middle into six and six but uh oh and they debuted in 2012 with the with mama i think that was their debut so yeah
0: Yeah, I think that was history one of the pre-debut ones. Like, they did one of those, like, rumbling, like, slow arrivals. But yes, 2012 is sort of when they start emerging.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like the the IXO were a very anticipated band, I think it's safe to say, when, when they debuted. Yeah. Everyone knew that SM was gearing up to start another boy group. Every single member got teasers. The conceit behind EXO. Uh, is that they're all like they all have superpowers? They have twelve different superpowers, <laughs> and they're all Sorry, sort of I like just, you just gotta yeah,
0: just take a pause to be like, yeah, this is a mid 2010s band. The the conceit was they have superpowers, and there is CG and dramatic choral music to herald these like l- last airbender bullshit <laughs> superpower superpowered young men. It's kind of oh great. My God.
1: It's great, it's great. um the whole extraterrestrial theme, actually, they still follow through with their branding now, mm-hmm. um especially around the live concerts. They're called things like Exoplanet Exploration. These are their live albums I'm talking about uh, and so there's like a there's a whole outer space superpower sci-fi thing going on with them.
0: Which is cool. It's unironically we're here for it
1: yeah Frankly. oh yeah they also did like a, a star wars tie-in song called lightsaber <laughs> that has no Which bearing is, to anything we want to talk about it's just fun
0: it's important to note that this is this is uh this band's. well the, the mere fact that this is a band that could get a star wars tie-in track is like oh, probably yeah. explains the scale that we're working on it's it's pretty yeah. pretty huge and massive
1: yeah they were they're the boy band that performed in the closing ceremony of the 2018 winter olympics uh, so yeah they're big they're big they're big
0: um yeah, you said they started off with twelve members. they no longer have twelve members they have no. depending on who you ask eight or nine um three Chinese members left after a pretty acrimonious contract dispute where like depending on who you ask either that they were being like vastly mistreated indifferentially treated to the Korean members or also they sort of realize they can make vastly vast amounts more money as solo artists promoting on their own promoting directly for China
1: Um, it is worth mentioning that all three of the Chinese members that left EXO Chris Wu uh, Luhan and Tao are all active in the Chinese entertainment and music industry right now and they're like very successful
0: extremely successful Um, I think
1: Tao's more more acting but Chris and Luhan were, you know, extremely successful.
0: Yeah, like if you want to hit the Wikipedia page for biggest selling Chinese, uh, well biggest selling releases in China's music industry, it is a solo artist from a Chinese band, and then the next bunch of records are just Luhan and um, oh, Luhan um, Chris and Lei Chris Chris and Lei, who is what I said, ambiguous ninth member of EXO, given that he appears very, very sporadically in the Korean releases, but doesn't really promote with the group anymore. Because not only is um, not only is he like extremely successful as a solo artist in China, but also because of some souring of relations, particularly in the sort of like ability to export culture from Korea to China, um, it's become much more difficult for the. We'll get into yeah, that. It's become much more difficult for like Chinese artists to simultaneously appear and promote themselves as both in a korean group as well as in a a, like a a chinese artist promoting in china
1: yeah we will we'll get into that later we're not aiming to get banned in china just yet
0: yeah um yeah like there'll be a time and place to talk about exactly how exo's relationship to china and korean as korea's music industry's relationship to china works this is not that this we just want to bop to an incredible track
1: yeah anyway, so they are still currently active uh, a lot of uh their members are actually also releasing solo uh albums solo works uh but a lot of that is because uh Ixo's members are all hitting the age uh where they have to do their mandatory military conscription um so right now three out of the nine members are enlisted uh suman d o and suho uh are enlisted and I think Suho, as of time of recording, enlisted, like, a week ago.
0: Yeah, so in your world, that will be maybe a month ago. So, yeah, this is early stages of the sort of what we expect will be a fallow period. Mm-hmm. That said, EXO's last comeback, which was only a few months ago, to think at the end of 2019, um, was a, a six-person release, given that... Um, Lei wasn't included, and so Dio and Shumin had already gone to the army at that point, but Suho hadn't. So, like, there are clearly going to be versions of XO that appear that aren't yeah. um, that aren't the full, indeed twelve, but obviously, obviously, but the full nine.
1: Mm-hmm. The, the, there's also one other recombination of EXO, EXO C B X, that's uh, Chen, Bakyun, and Shumin, uh, who kind of split off to do their own studio albums and extended plays not as a permanent thing just like as a, as a separate project
0: yeah i think the rap line which is um sehun and chanyol did their own um, oh yeah yeah X- solo uh, release as well exo
1: sc yeah as you can mm. tell the the subunits are just the initials of the stage names of the people who are in them
0: yeah not vastly complex but um yeah, yeah so very quick rundown of exo as a group um, so what's Monster? Monster comes at a sort of a interesting position for, uh, for EXO as a group, given that this is maybe two years removed from a very shaky patch in which their Chinese members leave and they have to sort of like reestablish themselves as a group that actually functions having to like abandon their original strategy of the sort of split Chinese-Korean focus. Um, and it works because... The The immediately following release has um, Call Me Baby and Love Me Right as two, like, huge, big singles. And they sort of hit their pinnacle with Monster, which is, I think, pretty easy to say, like, their single most successful track. It's SM Entertainment's single most successful music video in terms of YouTube views. I think that's, like, a obviously a moving target because, like, yeah. newer stuff. Um Newer stuff gets more views. It's just the nature of the numbers going up over time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But um, like this is monumentally successful. Like, super, super, super successful. Um, takes six, year, uh, six months to hit about one million sales in Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, like, smashes a lot of the like, best of year lists. Like, pretty much by consensus is one of the like, great bits of modern K-pop. And I agree. I think it's a fucking wonderful track.
1: I flippantly have have the line in our notes as it's a smash hit like every single song we've talked about so far and we'll continue to talk about.
0: Yeah, so like at some point we'll get onto tracks that are like marginally less successful or fit into the sort of B tier. But like we happen to have picked in this case the most successful track by one of the most successful artists of the last decade. So yeah. flat out we are talking about something that like blew the top of the charts and that's that's where we're at. Mm-hmm. So why are we talking about it? Um, The answer is basically we've been spending a lot of time trying to draw together all the strands that make up, like, the DNA of modern K-pop. And I feel like Monster is, like, the crystallization of all of them in the same place all at once.
1: It's kind of like how... If we said G was the introductory baseline for what K-pop is in terms of like superficial shallowness underpinned by like just a lot of work and a lot of complexity and a lot of very careful choices, uh, Monster is kind of the, the advanced course to its introductory tier
0: yeah um and I don't think it's a mistake that the basic version is the female group version and the inverse version is the male group version because I think like at some point we're going we're going to talk about the differential ways in which like complexity and like like the the different emotional and musical spaces that male and female groups get to work in, but I think yeah. in terms of the way that male groups have been able to experiment or expand or become more complex and more diverse, this is one of the like dominant strategies that has happened through um so yeah Mm
1: -hmm.
0: so yeah the track obviously please go listen to it um we definitely recommend watching at least well there are many versions of this music video
1: there are very many they will all be linked (laughs) um fret not we work very hard to bring you only the finest in uh you in in music video versions
0: yeah in, in the finest in the the sort of vast array of content we could be shoveling at you um there is a main music video which is full of weird symbolism with snakes and riot police and The Last Supper but all uh, white. It,
1: it's also very violent. Mm.
0: Yeah, lots of lots of blood and gore makeup. It's strange.
1: Well yeah, it also features shots of the uh of the of the band members just getting pummeled by riot police. Yeah. I mean fake um, pummeled, but it's in slow-mo and it's just like, oh that looks uncomfortable.
0: It does. Um yeah. We talked last uh, last episode a lot about the sort of aesthetification of protest. And there's not much to dwell on here because Monster doesn't have the same sense of narrative. It's just like, no. you could pull out the story about like, oh, the EXO members are being persecuted because of their superpowers and they need to escape the nondescript oppressive force of... Police, question mark? But
1: I, I will tell you that within the video itself, all that happens is uh, all of them get slammed into a police transport van and Baekhyun turns out to be the driver and bust them out. That's it. That's the whole video. It, Anything beyond that is interpretation or extra meaning that you've brought on from outside. Uh, yeah, yeah. From, like, knowledge of, like, the way the group's marketed, etc
0: exactly and at which point you might as well and i think you'd probably be better off watching the much less heralded but very very cool performance version of the music video which is
1: which is uh, another form of the music video like remember I, I was talking about the three tracks for uh uh come back home right you you have the the narrative you get little scenes or vignettes of the the story that the music video is trying to tell you have the sizzle reel you got the glamour the close-up shots um and then you have the choreography, and in, and so there, there are occasionally alternate versions of music videos that are released that's just the choreography. They still cut to the different sets, they're still in different uniforms, you still have this kind of dynamic camera work that helps emphasize the mood and the concept of the single, but everyone's got their game face on, uh, and you can still see the choreography, and that's kind of the big strength.
0: Yeah, and this is great choreography. We're not gonna, I don't think this oh, is an episode yeah. about dwelling on the choreography, but I think this is one of the really great K-pop choreographies. The formation work in the chorus is pretty iconic, I'd say. Mm-hmm. So um, the footwork
1: on that chorus move? Mm.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. Chef's um, Also the, the sort of the leg laser move towards the mm. middle. Th- uh, is it the second chorus or something like that? I can't yeah. remember. Um, but yeah, there are some... Very, very choice moments. Probably most famously, actually, the very initial formation of the sort of like riding mass of monstrous body parts that looks slightly yeah. like a Bloodborne villain, but is actually just some very well choreographed moves with Kai. Um, yeah, doing some cool hair flips and twisty arms. Kai's moves. their main dancer. It's very strong. Um, do we want to run down the the members very quickly?
1: Do you want to run down the nine that are in this
0: video? Yeah, so I I might as well very quickly just because I have them in my head because I'm like this and I know... Do you want to
1: do it by, like... uh, You want to do vocal rap? Vocal line... Sorry, I just realised. So when we say vocal line, rap line, dance line, this is K-pop speak for the members who are specialised at doing the vocals, the dance and the rap.
0: So it certainly doesn't mean that there are, like, members who are good at singing who are... It means there are members who are good at singing who are not in the quote-unquote vocal line, but this yeah. is how we sort of conceptualize them and fit them in the group. So yeah. the Lee vocal line is like Dio, um, Beckyun, and um, Chen, yep. three like big powerhouse vocalists. We talked a bit about the notion of a powerhouse, talking about uh, Taimin's role in Shiny and how he related to the, the group. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the dance line, which I'd say is Kai and um, Xumin.
1: And Lee, when he was promoting heavier ah you caught
0: me there um <laughs> dance line does include Lei because Lei is in this music video um you have suho who's the leader it's like good singer not in the sort of lead uh, dance line sorry not in the lead vocal line but also um the being the leader is a role in and of itself especially in a group this big um yeah. and then you get the two rappers chaniel and seven and that should be the nine
1: and Sehun, I think, has claimed to being the best rapper in SM before the NCT. Yeah, newer generation showed up.
0: Yeah, like I think you can have a, a fight between Sehun and Chanyol. I'd like I'd veer towards Sehun because I like his cadence and his tone a bit more. Mm-hmm. But also, he got much less screen and vocal time than Chanyol in the first few years of EXO's existence. Yeah, much m- much more equitable now, but. Uh, th- this is the point in which our stand, rather than the ontology aspect of the podcast, shines through. And we start having fan wars about which vocals we want to <laughs> get more lines. Um, in that case, yeah. So this is the track. We have a group with like a bunch of really good vocalists. Really, really good vocalists. Some incredible choreography. And they're doing a, like a badass, hip hoppy, thunderous, trap-influenced pop track and sort of like the thing that i think we want to try and get across is how we manage to find this middle ground between being propulsive but not triumphant being active but still dark and this sort of like interesting middle ground of tone that we sort of like not uniquely at get out of K-pop because so many other tracks get versions of this, but like the specific ways in which K-pop is like used vocals and harmony and melody to interpolate the sort of mood of hip hop is really fascinating.
1: I feel like yeah, like like what this, we were trying to come up with with like single word descriptions of how the song feels, and I think it's really hard to do with Monster because it's very much X but Y, right? Like it's propulsive but oddly it has a sense of inertia that's holding it back like it has this very powerful sense of restraint and it's mm-hmm. powerful precisely because the restraint is both threatening like it might just it, it carries enough of like an air of menace that it could break out into something really dark but it's also restrained in that at any point it could erupt into something triumphant and it plays both sides of that line
0: so well throughout yep totally totally agree
1: And it, and it never quite settles on either side that's the other thing
0: yeah it's it's not like that sort of hackneyed version of it's like x but y in and leaving it at that it's like it has figured out a way to like synthesize the the like boundary zone between these like bright bombastic vocal led pop and dark like groovy almost but like propulsive energetic hip-hop and and trap like danceable danceable stuff I,
1: i think it's very natural to compare it it's very natural to compare it to uh, Merotic but where Merotic had this kind of confidence uh, and was very sure of what it was and that's part of why it's so strong Monster is strong because it's never certain and it uses that kind of aura of uncertainty to explore to kind of venture into new ground Um, and that's kind of what lends it its power you want to see how it shakes out exactly and, like, and like, it's not it's not meandering in a I-don't-know-what-I-want-to-be way. It's I-know-what-I-want-to-be. Do you know? Can you tell? Uh, if I had to give it yeah, a weirdly anthropomorphic characterization.
0: <laughs> I think that's entirely reasonable, especially since we had the, like, the scream-what-the-hell moments in um, Come Back Home. Like, right. Monster isn't doing exactly that, but it very much, like, attempts to do a similar kind of act of recombination. It's just that... This is moved towards. This is post hot mess in that it isn't it's doing still the, a like, mess. It's <laughs> it's still hot and it's still kind of a mess. But it's oh, yeah. it's finally managed to like combine things in seamless and very deliberate ways that like it, it make it feel integrated in a sense that Comeback Home did not have. Um, and yeah. in that sense, it feels very capable and very powerful uh, in a way that like. Come back home comes across as more chaotic or experimental, exuberant, right? Um, in which case, let's just like dig into what the track is doing.
1: Yeah, let's get let's get
0: our nuts and bolts. So yeah, um, just in terms of like the skeleton of the track, this is a hip hop track. It's. Mid high tempo, like I think about one forty BPM. Yeah. But it's half time. So we're getting one Snare bar instead of two Snares a bar. We talked a bit about half time in the Comeback Home episode. It's not reggae, but it's obviously taking I think
1: we're all thankful actually that this is yes.
0: a God, incredibly. But yeah, it's obviously it like a, a taking inspiration in its rhythm from hip hop. Um, in terms of like what that sound world is like, 808. Now, the 808 is a thing that we have mentioned previously before. But at its core, the TB-808 is a drum machine um, made by Roland. Very, very famous drum machine. Um, and what you can do is take the kick drum that's on that, uh, that um, drum machine and change its release time so that it takes a long time to decay to nothing. And you will hear it sound out in a way that has the thump of the kick drum, but also the sustain of a bass line.
1: And it's utterly unrealistic. That's the, that's the other important thing. And part of why it was a flop on release was that it didn't sound uh, natural at all.
0: Yep, exactly. So um, what instead got happened was it got taken as one of the sort of crucial foundational pieces of the, the sound world of hip hop. Um, and sustained 808s are now like some of the bread and butter for trap production, for hip hop production more widely. Mm-hmm. And have become another way in producers' arsenals of like creating dynamic, deep, but also impactful baselines. And like I
1: guarantee to you, once you hear the 808 on its own and you recognize what that sounds like, you will hear it everywhere.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty certain I will just probably recreate Monsters sub-baseline, the very low base, mm-hmm. in AO8s very easily. And it won't take much effort on my part, but it'll be very obvious, like, this is what gives the track its depth and its heft and its weight. Um, on top of that, we ha- also have a bass line, and this is taken from the more like dub or electroy like heavily sound designed world of dance music, and this is got this <laughs> ...ostinata that holds the track together. Um, so it's not being relied on to provide the heft and the weight, but it is the sort of like first thing that gives us a sense of of tonality in general. Mm -hmm. Um, as well as, like, the timbre is very specific and it's, like, weird and twisty and electronic and very unreal. And that's obviously a cool sound world to start with. Yeah. I think the first thing to say is, like, that combination is very, very standard in a lot of modern dance music. But, like, hip-hop generally doesn't work like this. Hip-hop generally, like... It, its baseline is 808s. It doesn't generally stack multiple baselines on top of each other mm-hmm. until you get to like the incorporation of dance music styles. And we can come up to examples of that later because there are many and they're very good and very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, well, this is what we have. We have 808s holding down the very low end. We've got a baseline providing the sort of like first semblance of a, of a routing. And then we've got the beat. And I think the interesting thing about the beat for me is like, most trap production is doing the same things, but with much more obviously drum machine in commas elements. Whereas Monster sounds like a pop producer produced the the drums, which is very cool to me. Um,
1: what what what, what it, can you explain in a couple of words what that difference is?
0: Yeah, so so like hip hop production is very like rooted around traditionally at least even modern trap production is very rooted around the sounds that you get out the box and doing standardized things with those sounds so like there is a sound you will recognize as an 808 hi-hat and that will be the standard hi-hat that will be the starting point in the building block for all trap production Mm -hmm. at the same time like there are very standard operations you can do to it pitching it up pitching it down overdriving it um um, before you even get to the, like, this is how Trap happens to sequence its hi-hats. The difference in Monster is that there is all sorts of intricacy and delicacy and and also, like, a cleanness and, a, like, uh, a lack of being rooted in the original sounds of the 808 as a box. It's very much like someone has constructed hi-fi sample like <laughs> if i'm, if I'm going to be gratuitous about it it's like these are sounds from the sample pack from for a professional not sampled out the box for hip-hop producers so like it straddles the line between between hip-hop hip-hop form absolutely mm-hmm. but also a sound world that is much more delicate precisely produced and much more i'm trying to trying to think of a word that doesn't imply like a, a like a a normative difference like i don't mean accurate in the sense that like there's something better in the way that monsters drums are like the the aesthetic properties are what matter here that it's clean right. and precise as opposed to like raw and obvious and limited in its sound palette um and trap usually is more uh, obvious and limited in its sound palette because it's rooted in the sounds that come out the the aoa as a box mm-hmm. whereas this is much more in debt to pop production which is much more interested in like producing finely tuned functional pieces to fit in your fit in your pop track. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say, I was thinking of like sharp.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that makes perfect sense. Um, again. It has sharper drums. Yeah. Not that yeah. trap music can't be sharp or doesn't want to be sharp in a lot of ways, but um, it's drawing from a, a different approach to percussion than like old school hip hop. Mm-hmm. um the beat itself i i mentioned briefly that trap has a distinctive way to sequence itself to start with the track doesn't actually go all the way there it's very much a hip-hop track in that it's like got this like slow lumbering um one snare bar pattern but um it's only when the hi-hat comes in that you get the trap feel because um it has the very distinctive skittering patterns or um, rolls, where you like yeah. sequence many hi hats every thirty-second note instead of what you'd expect, maybe every eighth or something like that, to mm-hmm. give it the very characteristic like clattering noise that was like unique and unique to Atlanta trap and like exploded out into hip hop production more broadly. <laughs> so like it triangulates some of the like. Standard hip hop in inverted commas with trap very specifically right. as a subgenre and like a particular approach to sequencing um, and then yeah just sort of progressing through the tr- uh, the, the track like this is the, the that's the sound world of the verse um, electronic um, first thirty seconds is all electronic bass deep aO8 scaring hi hat and some more precise Pop produ- prop produced drums in the background. And then what we get is the sort of build up section. Oh, yeah. Which is like, I think when I first heard this track, it was like, oh, God, this track goes places. Specifically, when I heard <laughs> this build up section. Because it starts going into standard time, you get the sort of pretty even four for the floor feel to the, the pattern all of a sudden.
1: Extremely, like, like, so obviously signposted because they start putting claps in there
0: yeah yeah exactly Um, and the eight oh eight start bouncing at a much faster rate and they like t- like the, the whole track feels like it's lurching almost um, mm-hmm. and about to tip over
1: that's why we're talking about that res- that's propulsion right
0: yeah and it, again this is like this, I think when you talked about this track having a sense of menace to it, this is a big part of it. It's like, mm. it's pushing into places and the explosion could be catastrophic. But instead it falls into this particular version of the chorus. Um, we haven't talked much about the vocals yet because the vocals, I well, think... I
1: mean... Co- right, I was going to um, say, it's like so far we've been describing it very much in terms of like hip hop and trap.
0: Mm-hmm. And then you
1: get to the vocals and it's like not... No, not that <laughs> it's not from so that yeah, at
0: all. Um, because we want to spend so much time talking about the harmony in this track, um, I didn't want to like jump in and leave with the vocals. But like, yeah, no, this track is very much a, a vocal first track, and the ability to.
1: But you might think is confusing because the verses go all of like, only go up and down a handful of notes.
0: Yeah, um, it's just what? that they manage to stack harmony and stack stack layered parts. And then also just managed to figure out ways to write, like, very mellifluous lines. Like, very, mm-hmm. like, smooth, like, R&B-style singable lines in the middle of this weird hip-hop instrumentation. And, like, that's a real, real achievement, I think. Like, there's mm-hmm. something very special about finding a way to craft R&B or, or like, standard pop vocal lines that actually work with this kind of instrumentation. Oh, yeah. And that, and that leads to the chorus, which is... The build-up has to go somewhere. We had the the collapse building up. Mm-hmm. We have the faster and faster percussion, like clearly signaling we're going to collapse into something. You got a rising synth in the back, and then we get ah oh, this chorus. So so many things happen at once. First of all, we got to just say this choreo, this choreo, the the point choreo is just incredible. Um oh, it's so good. Like, it's become iconic with that foot move mm-hmm. for good reason. Just the visual experience is, like, a very powerful one. I don't want to understate that. Um, you say I, I, We say we suddenly transition. We're back in the sort of rhythmic world of the verses, except instead of the sort of the hyper-electronic, weird, awkward texture of the um, the original bass, line, we've got the sort of, like, expansive, wide, sparkly synth strings is, I think, the best way to describe the sort of synth in the background. Yeah. And the whole of the middle of the track is just filled out with massive vocal harmony. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, the things you can do when you have this many people singing out once. I was trying to count. It didn't work. <laughs> but, like, again, like, and, and just to call back to earlier episodes, we were, this is what we were saying about merodic. This is one of the strengths of K-pop being bands, is that you literally have enough people who can hold a melody to have these really fascinating layered vocal textures.
0: Yep. Yep. And, like, t- for, the, uh, for your, again... The idea that in your hip hop track, the thing that holds it together, the thing that like is the centerpiece that you want people to like focus on being massed vocal texture and harmony is incredible. Like this is just like a really interesting achievement and also a fascinating way to design a hip hop track. Um, I'm just, as I'm going back to the track, I'm watching the choreography and it's just getting me again because it's wonderful. Um, But yeah, the interplay of voices is like the thing that happens in this chorus. Um, again, we'll talk about the harmony afterwards once you've done a quick run through. Um,
1: yeah.
0: Verse two, pretty much the same thing as verse one. Um, same build up, same chorus, but again, slightly different ad libs and slightly different allocation of voices. Um, and then the bridge. The bridge is. And then that bridge. So, yeah, we go to like complete switch up and percussion. We go very much towards like military and big impressive loud thwacky orchestral drums we move entirely to fake strings like rather than synths that have this sort of like bowed or sparkling quality to them we have very much right. like what sounds like emulated string sounds yeah and we have this like move towards us like almost like military or orchestral texture it's obviously fake and done through a pop lens so it doesn't actually sound like that Hmm. But it's the moment where we get the sort of like Crunchy, obviously orthodoxly Weird harmony That like signals sort of Drama happening
1: Oh, That also relies very much on the vocal powerhouses Which is Which is fun because remember how We said that the, like, the, the, the orthodox Switch up is like rap versus me- uh, Melodic choruses Or melodic choruses rap uh, oh, Sorry, melodic versus rap choruses This is mm-hmm. melodic, melodic
0: yeah and again melodic melodic on a hip-hop track which is strange yeah it's just that what the va- the, the bridge transitions into isn't the chorus again which you normally expect that's the normal pop song structure it transitioned into verse three which is the rap verse finally yeah. in a in a in a hip-hop track we got rap verses um Wait, which rap is,
1: verse is in the last like quarter of the song
0: yep mm-hmm. which a weird way to backload it but it's very cool and um, again, we have the same structure that we do in the normal verses, but just seen entirely differently because it's done with rap over the top. Um, oh yeah. So Chanyol and Sehun trade back and forth for a bit, mm-hmm. and then we get the um, the the new version of the foot of the floor um, pumping claps claps going version of this has the very classic um, trap flow, which is the triplet flow. <laughs> um instantly recognizable to if to if you've heard any actual track music but um it is very distinctive again like there are some interesting things to note like i think we have clearly moved a long way since the era of tvxq's rap verses however like the the aesthetic approach in this version of this iteration of korean rap is still like very much more spoken, very much more enunciated, very much more, like, actively performed than a lot of trap rap at this point is. Which mm-hmm. is just, like, interesting stylistic difference. I just think, like, the ob- <laughs> the objective quality is just a just a whole lot better now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, do, I think that part is undeniable.
0: And at which point we blast into Final Chorus.
1: <sighs> and Final Chorus, you know, is where they kind of let loose with all the ad-libs.
0: Yeah, Dio just blows the top of the track with ad libs. Um it's this is where we get my favourite choreo move, which is that sort of leg laser line as human singing. Oh, uh, yeah. Um the body the body control is exceptional. And then one of the like exceptional moments in the track is the outro. Um both the just the sudden disappearance in the texture, um, to just synth and solo voice. Um one of the most incredible little acrobatic runs I can I can remember in
1: K-pop. I can't believe we didn't say creeping as an adjective for the song.
0: Yeah. Oh gods, it's it's the right adjective. That's
1: a restraint on our part, but it's perfect.
0: It is. Yeah. The track has you know, got that, like, creeping sense in that it's lurching forwards, never, like, exploding into, like, completely over-the-topness, but just, like, shuddering o- along slowly and menacingly. Ah, love it. Mm-hmm. So, that's the skeleton of the track. I think we really, really love the track. Um, it's
1: really good. We usually, we usually will talk about things that are embarrassing, but, like, no, this is just exemplary. It's just great. Yeah,
0: we don't have things to pull out and laugh at. Not um, even
1: their hair. I usually laugh at the hair. No, this is just, they look fine.
0: Yeah, I mean, Kai had the weird sort of, like, half-shave flop thing.
1: Suman does look weird with his hair slicked back, but it's not, like, what what's going on weird. It's just kind of, like, acceptable parameters. Of-
0: There's choices rather than objective failures. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's like, you know, when we eventually get on the, the mullet resurgence of, like, 2018.
0: the late twenty. 20- oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> One day we'll have to critique some mullets and we'll we'll laugh. Maybe die very slightly, but also, to be honest, I did very much. We are recording this in quarantine. I very much did hit mullet city about two weeks ago and have to ask a family member to very kindly shave the the the, the curly bits of the back of my head off. It was. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we all once had cool undercuts and now it's mullet city,
0: glass houses and all that. Um, yeah. So yeah, like amazing track we really love the track somehow this has become the formula yeah so what it's like this is like a very specific
1: thing to become a formula
0: yeah so like now let's just sort of like go bit by bit and look for like some of what i think are the distinctive things Mm -hmm. about this track so firstly um i'm gonna say where am i gonna start with this
1: You want to start by the chromatic baseline, because I think chromaticism is a little bit easier to explain on account of they're just literally notes next to each other.
0: (laughs) So yeah, so I think the starting point in that case is chromaticism. So chromaticism is the thing where we've talked a lot about figuring out what key or scale a track is using. And the way you do that generally is you like figure out what notes the track is like emphasizing or hitting repeatedly you put them together and you figure out that ah oh, like they're were, they were generally hitting those eight notes and they're not hitting those those other remaining four or however many and um, you figure out um, based on that based on that like what key center the, the track has um so yeah like you can figure out that we keep hitting the key bass note which is F so we have a key center which is F. And then you start looking at the, um, the the notes that the the song keeps hitting over and over again, and you um figure out what s- scales that it keeps employing, and we will come to exactly which one that uh, the monster keeps using it is. However, if we figured out what our key and scale is, we know which notes are like in technical terms, diatonic given our scale. Um, Chromaticism is where we intersperse um, notes that aren't in that diatonic set of notes. So you'll end up with notes that are crunchy or or neighboring. um, Neighboring is one of the easiest ways to do it because a lot of intervals will be whole, uh, whole note intervals. And if you play the note, like neighbouring, then you will have note, a note that is not in the scale at all and that will sound crunchy when you play it alongside all the other notes in the um in the track. And this is the bass line. the F sharp and the bass line is not a thing that gets used anywhere else in the track. Um, but it's a central part of um, what the sound of the entire track is because it's just repeated over and over again as part of this like lead bass line. So um, having tracks that are tonal and diatonic, uh, but have chromatic bass lines at the bottom of them to sort of provide a sort of weird contrast between R and B singing, maybe and chromatism in the lines, which gives interesting clashes, interesting counterpoints is like mm. a big part of the sort of one of the templates of getting complexity in K-pop
1: The other thing we talked about uh, you may or may not have mentioned it in, not in these words, is that it doesn't provide to you a lot of uh, harmonic information it keeps a sense of ambiguity alive for as long as it keeps going and you don't have anything helpful yeah. on top
0: yeah, absolutely. Specifically because we have just got the the root note here and a note chromatically neighbouring it, which means that you've got almost no way of telling whether we're going to lean towards a major or a minor sound. You've got no way of telling what, how um the track might modulate from this place. We have no idea how we're rooted in relation to the key centre. So mm. yeah, we have the opportunity to do all sorts of interesting things on top of it. So what sort of interesting things do we do on top of it? Um... So this is where you actually try and figure out what scales XO is using in this track. Um, So you go through and the very first lead line is flat seventh and tonic. That's a flat seventh. Um, So that's already interesting. We are ambiguously tonal and we're using a flat seventh. So we've got like Mixolydian hang around the back of our head.
1: Which, hey, side note for those of you like me who up until this point thought, oh, yeah, major and minor. That's all there is, right? No. Yeah, so
0: we're going to get onto, like, (laughs) modal composition more broadly is, and our in point is Exos Monster. Um, Flat seventh. But, oh, wait, hang on. The vocal harmony comes in and the vocal harmony is hitting the minor third. Okay, interesting. Um. Um, and then you just sort of progress through. And this is the sort of thing that I'd be doing to try and harmonically analyse the track, is going through the vocal harmonies, going through the melody lines, figuring out which pitches are being hit and what sort of scales that outlines. So what starts happening later, and which is why we need to sort of incorporate the harmonic complexity of this track in its entirety, is that what happens in the chorus is this track that has resolutely in the verse has been minor keeps resolving to major.
1: Yeah, and that's a big part of the um ambiguity slash just what makes it really interesting and screw with your head is that like you sit there for the first ooh, how long like for the first minute
0: yeah, you're very minute. comfortably
1: like, all right, minor, minor, I got this it's minor. we started off weird, and I didn't know what this was about, definitely a minor. it does this whole ramp up this build this big ex- like you're waiting for the drop, you're like, oh, it's gonna be in minor, no, it switches to major,
0: yeah, so um like. I'm creeping your heart, babe, is ambiguous, but I'd call it like leaning minor, just from the sort of, I think there's a minor third somewhere in that crunchy chord. But then the second phrase immediately afterwards definitely resolves major in the, um, in the backing instrumental. Yeah, the synths are definitely... And then there is no ambiguity in the second time it happens, in the fourth phrase of the, um, phrase of the chorus. It resolves. <laughs> that line. Mm-hmm. That resolves to a major third. And so it means that we have a chorus that is constantly flipping back and forth between minor and major third. So this is super interesting. Um, it sort of means that we ended up with this, this chorus... Which has this feel of a tr- of a of a track with natural two, which already clashes with the flat two in the bass line that we got in the cor- in the verses. We have major third that it keeps getting resolved to. But um, flat 7th and flat 6th. And so we've basically got like a constructed or adjusted mode that we're using here. Um, Mixolydian flat six is the way I'd normally analyse this, which is, as I've described, root, natural 2, major 3rd, natural 4, natural 5, flat 6, flat 7. Um, it's a really cool scale. Um, it's a really cool scale in that it's got this sort of like brightness at the bottom end, and then as you rise, it becomes darker and not minor feeling, but like more constrained or restrained. And like it really fits the tonality of the track brilliantly well, in that, like, you're allowed to play off the balance between depending on where the phrases hit in the scale or hit in the vo- vocal registers or just how they're written you can start emphasising different characters, the majorness or also the the like, the like, darkened nature where you flatten so many degrees of the scale.
1: This is also completely unrelated, but I want you to know on the Wikipedia page, the invention of the ancient Greek Mixolydian mode was attributed to Sappho. That's Sappho.
0: <laughs> nice. Sick. Great. I'm going to use Mixolydian for all my tracks now as a shout out to the OG Lesbian.
1: Yeah can thank the case for that one, too. Hell yes.
0: Um, unfortunately, in this case, we're not talking about strictly Mixolydian. We're talking about an adjusted Mixolydian. Also, ancient six. Greek
1: Mixolydian has kind of nothing to do with the modern Mixolydian. Yeah, anyway. and the
0: <laughs> Greek modes mean different things, sadly.
1: Um,
0: but, yeah. So now we've just hit two massive features of this track in particular that, like, mark it out as something weird and interesting. The use of adjusted modes, in this case, mixolydian flat six, which is not a sort of standard thing you'd get.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I can just, as you'd quickly say, how you'd normally construct new modes is by taking the um, the like standard major scales of all the chromatic notes in the on the on the keyboard, and seeing what would happen if you picked a new one as the um, as the key center and started it from a different point so like what happens when you play your c major scale but start on a d and that means that you've got a minor third and a flat seventh okay that's a new mode in that like how has this changed your d scale it's turned it into a d dorian and you start constructing a series of modes based on how you adjust scales as you like transpose um the the key center around the keyboard Mixolydian flat six is not one you'd get by transposing a major scale it has to be adjusted or you have to like construct it through other means obviously it's like well described and well known with the musicology but like it's a it's a genuine novelty and like not something you'd normally get by just like very basic playing around the hmm. second thing is modal interchange the set the second thing is we have a track here that is constantly flipping back and forth between different scales, so in between the natural minor and this mixolydian flat six, um, and that means, in effect, we've got this major minor interchange. Like I, I say cr- um, modal interchange, which because the phenomenon we're talking about is taking chords from different scales or that point towards different scales, but really what we mean is K-pop's got this incredible ability to just like bounce back and forth between major and minor without moving the key center. Um, when we like there's another musical term which is modulation this isn't really a modulation because we haven't moved the key center we're in f something all the time but whether we're in f flat six mixolydian or whether we're in f minor is entirely down to where the harmony decides to go in any particular moment and we interchange between a very major feeling one albeit a darkened one and a minor feeling Mm -hmm. one all the time and that's just the facility that this track has to modally interchange so that is three crucial elements, chromatic bass lines, modal interchange, and adjusted modes, in this case, the mixed leaning flat six. And now what I'd like to do is say that over and over, again, well, while samples of about eight, nine, 10 different K-pop tracks play, and see if I can just like do that. Remember, chromatic bass line. Modal interchange. Adjusted mode, and particularly mixed Lydian flat six. Again, chromatic Bassline. Yo. Yo. Modal interchange. Yo. Funky modes, in this case, mix a And I'll do, as an alternative take, chromatic bass lines. Modal interchange. and adjusted modes, such as a Phrygian with a major third. And suddenly we have maybe like, not a a majority, but suddenly a big chunk of K-pop tracks that we could run through rely on this combination of juxtaposing tonal diatonic melodies and harmonies with chromatic bass lines and a very very easy way of modally interchanging um for as like the like crucial constituent p- components that it used to just write like some of the biggest pop smashes some of the stuff that's yeah, to, like, to set dominate up, the industry
1: to set this up you coming up with a list of those songs did not take very long
0: no like it was both
1: it was like top of the head biggest smash hits of the last couple of years
0: Yeah, and, like, obviously not all of them do. And it's interesting to know which groups do and don't employ this. And which labels, yeah. Yeah, exactly. However, it's very, very obvious that so many of them do. And I don't think it's a mistake to say that this is some of the K-pop I really like. Like, a lot of the stuff that I really like goes in this direction. So um, let's just run through the tracks that I presumably have played now.
1: Yeah, sorry. I, I wanted to disclaimer that again. It's like this is not what all K-pop is. It's definitely the K-pop we like. There's definitely a surprising amount of it for being a highly specific and quite complex way of writing a
0: song. Exactly. Um so what I have run through is all of SM's major boy groups for the last decade. So Shiny Sherlock. Oh,
1: stop. Any one, even if
0: um, Exo's Monster and their latest track Obsession, uh-huh. and um, NCT. I think there are many tracks that could fit this mold in. Varying to varying degrees. But Simon says it's the most obvious case in point. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. dropping the single by SM Entertainment's supergroup, Super M. Whistle by Blackpink Which we will talk about next week For other reasons But
1: but different label, not SM
0: Not SM um, We have uh, Icy and Dalla Dalla The first two singles by Itzy Who are a JYP group Um hard carry, which I don't think would I uh, would qualify under the model interchange and adjusted mode stuff, but definitely has a chromatic baseline and does diatonic stuff on top of it, so I think would fit. Um, which is a got seven track on JYP. Hard carry hard Carry and Luna's "So What," which is a funny case in point, because this is a track where um, Luna, um, a girl group, stand, 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 Luna, Stan, Stan Luna um, a girl group by an independent label, um, independent but also tied to a major arm's dealing company, which is it's what? it's true
1: and real. We did not make that up.
0: <laughs> I'll just leave that for you to do your own research, yeah. um, or maybe we'll drop some notes in the the podcast description. Who no, can
1: say? you can you can go down that wiki hole.
0: Yourself. <laughs> um, but this is a this is a girl group that has like a cult following to a small degree particularly among international fans but when they wanted to try and blow up they enlisted lucy man the like creative head and chief exec of sm entertainment to come in and produce an sm style banger in, in which case they went for all the standard checks and bo- check boxes To make an SM boy group track or an SM like big pop smash hit Mm -hmm. and just handed one of those tracks to Luna. Um, so like, for some bizarre reason, like, there are, well, uh, let's say like, who isn't on this list? BTS isn't on this list. Twice isn't on this list. Um, I think those are really notable things. Firstly, like, for two different reasons. BTS, because they've taken their influences in a really different direction. Um, they are less interested in the sort of like, very timbre heavy, very sound design forward. um dance music approach and I've gone much more towards the sort of melodic hip hop approach. And like, I think the point of reference are instead of like dance music and electronic music, you'd look towards like Drake and The Weeknd as a sort of mm-hmm. like paragons of where the BTS are getting their like sound world inspiration from, particularly in recent years. Also just straight pop music and keeping a very diatonic and very like, what well, I mean, I'd say unchallenging as if that's a, that does have a sort of like normative characteristic, way of like saying stuff is uh, like easy to listen to is I don't mean that as a slight I mean that it's as like, pop
1: like it's pop that's not a bad thing
0: yeah we're talking about pop here like they very much decided they want to make pop music that's accessible and enjoyable on a mass scale and that's how they've written tracks with boy with love
1: and uh, hey it worked it worked for them like, yeah okay, God, it worked. undeniably
0: um the flip side of this is twice who I'm not going to say are, like, constrained in the sort of musical space that they can explore, inherently, for any particular reason, but, like, the tracks that they've been handed have fit a sort of bubblegum candy version of K-pop that harkens back much more to, like, the early girls' generation stuff than it does to the sort of, like, post-hot um, mess, like, explosion of, like, rhythmic con- complexity and R&B-style stuff that we, like, we're talking about with Monster.
1: Twice is Twice as a girl group formed by JYP, and they are the best-selling Korean girl group of all time.
0: Yep, yeah. and yeah. they have surpassed Girls' Generation. I'm gonna say, like, a- again, we mentioned in the, the the 21 episode that like it is pretty much Girls' Generation, Blackpink, and Twice that have like hit that very very upper echelon of like guaranteed hits, no matter what, in the last yeah. decade. And like Twice are right at the pit, top of the top of the food chain right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that's who's missing from this list there aren't many other people missing from this list. Like We're covering a vast swathe of what's really popular right now. And like, I'm sure if I did a bit of digging, I could find stuff that is inspired by this or carries elements of this forward by other groups entirely. So like, um, I'm sure that tracks like, what comes to mind, uh, something like Side Effects by um, Stray Kids mm-hmm. is something that comes to mind Is like, it's an approach that is very clearly not just just this because like it is like gone in other ways to explore in this case rhythmically it's much more edm rather than hip-hop in its rhythms however it is still very much just like how do you put a pop track on top of chromatic bass lines is like the problematic that it's trying to solve um, that is dealing with and trying to solve. There are like, uh, what comes to mind? Red Velvet comes to mind. There's like another SM artist who very clearly involved in this sort of clearly got this sort of songwriting hanging over in the background whenever they're making stuff, but they pushed it in more explicitly R and B directions. And we'll talk about some of their stuff later, but like it means that they very, they less frequently go in these chromatic directions, even if they do go towards interesting model interchange and R and B functional harmonies, like a, a way of songwriting. So like you got related things like a new wave of K-pop that is more EDM focused and less into like harmonic complexity all um, BTS cases more pop inspired and therefore into less into harmonic complexity. But like, there's still a, a massive strain of mainstream K pop that is like smashing the charts using this formula chromaticism, modal interchange, and adjusted modes as like its standard baseline formula.
1: All right. As a way to answer the question of how do you start with these kind of very simple and sparse baselines and then Put an interesting and complex thing for your singers to do.
0: Yeah, specifically, I think that's top. exactly the problem to solve. It's like, how do you take Whoa. the sound world and the right. inspiration of R and B, R and B, hip hop, and trap, and turn that into something that is like for vocal suitable performance. for five voices? Exactly, suitable for yeah, vocal it's, performance it's, it's primarily, rather than voice. yeah, right. rather than um. Rappers primarily Right Because we
1: we asked We posed the question When we were thinking about this Like where did this come from And I think that's it Like I think that's the Fundamental question It's a a question of group composition As in literally There are so many people In this group And they all need a thing to do And so (laughs) You know And uh, You know What are the Baselines that are in That are popular That are Like that are You know A deep part of pop now At this point Right Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. Uh, how do you combine a song that has that as a baseline with the need to have dole out at least five different vocal parts?
0: Yep. Totally. If not
1: more. And and uh. include a dance break in there.
0: <laughs> like. So yeah, I mean, it, it hits all the marks in that you can you can have sections like this very naturally leans itself to sections that are chromatic and emphasize the sound design and the energy which will provide perfect opportunity for dance breaks or you will like be able to strip it back to like minimal AOA and the structural elements that will be perfect for rap breakdowns. But also because you've got so much um, harmonic, like heavy lifting tools to be dealing with, it works so well for these incredibly like lush, complex and multifaceted vocal lines. And like I harped on earlier, like it's weird that you've got a hip hop track that like lends itself so naturally to this sort of vocal performance. But like, mm-hmm. this is what it's been engineered to do. And it's really novel that's been engineered to do this. Yeah. Um. I will just like as an aside, the way that adjusted modes have been used historically in pop music is um, is not exclusively in this sort of like how do we problem solve around R and B. It's also to evoke of like exoticism or Orientalism. So like I mentioned, Phrygian major third as one of the potential options for a uh, for an adjusted mode that you might be using, which Mm. is has a very distinctive sound, and I'll play an example of tracks that use it in a second. Um, but this is the Bumbaya mode. This is the, um, this sounds like it's evoking Arabic scales, question mark. And again, this is the sort of thing where like Arabic music has an entirely different tradition in a different way, producing its harmonic structures. But like in Western music, what exoticism sounds like is using these adjusted modes to evoke the sense of of like what that music is like. And it mean, doesn't mean that like Bumbaya is therefore like aping something Middle Eastern but it does mean that it's using the sort of exoticism as like a, a means of creating interest like yeah. I, I say this without trying to like get into a, a substantive claim about Orientalism within pop music and songwriting but that the uh, but the, 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 the like tradition of using adjusted modes to like create a sense of awareness that is associated with like Foreignness and exoticism is like very long standing
1: this is unrelated mm-hmm. um, I've been looking at Wikipedia on the various modes um, there is a page for specifically the Mixolydian flat 6 or as they call it the Aeolian Dominant and I think it tells you something about its use in western music carry this over to western pop that it's incredibly short yes there's six there's five lines of text on the whole page <laughs> all right yeah it's got one two three four five sentences in it Mm -hmm. right and it is this specific scale that is all over the freaking place in uh k-pop whereas if you look at just the mixolydian there is literally a list of notable pop songs using it and uh, and it's categorized under the jazz minor modes
0: yeah so like this is clearly like uh, when i talk about this like i would not be shocked if to write write in this mode you'd need a vast amount of um like really, really astute, really technical knowledge of how to put together like, modally, m- like modal composition as a technique in jazz and pop songwriting. That's what you need yeah. to be able to just like have the facility to do this. And somehow this particular... We're coming back to jazz. Yeah. No, that I mean, yeah. straight up, yeah. like the, the sort of formalism that was developed not out of classical analysis, but out of jazz and pop analysis is like entirely different and entirely like exploring a territory that just like, hasn't really been talked about extensively before um i want to give a shout out to friend of the podcast rowan um who has been helping with some of the musical analysis particularly for some of the tracks that will come up later uh not in this episode but just talking about how some of the like failures of like standard standard conceptualization of harmonic analysis have just sort of like left a lot of pop music really underanalyzed when it's doing really inventive things i think the contention isn't that the like pop music in the West isn't doing interesting things. And we'll get onto what it is doing that is similar. Um, mm-hmm. But that like the whole system of pop music has like not really got the same set of tools that conventional classical music or sometimes even jazz music has to like explain what you're hearing in real time. And like, if I can be a tiny, tiny little part of getting people to think critically about like how the stuff that you're hearing works when it does work, that's really cool. Um, so like, uh, now is the sort of point where like you pose the question, what is Western pop music doing?
1: Or well, the the two part. One part is what is Western pop music doing? Where is it going? And has Western pop music been influenced by? Well, I was obliquely asking, has Western pop music been influenced by K-pop? Now, uh, the actual question I was asking was. Are there Western pop songs that use those three elements? The chromatic bassline, the modal interchange, and the use of an adjusted
0: modal? So, like, my answer was, hmm, let's look at a lot of pop songs that are interesting in, in different ways and see if we can pick out the sort of themes and stuff. And the answer is, there are a couple of different trajectories that we can look to, to, like, try and find, like, answers... I think the answer has K-pop influenced pop music. The answer is probably but only obliquely and in, in, in small groups. I think the answer to is uh, western pop music doing exactly this thing. The answer is actually no, but the answer is western pop music using some of the different elements in different traditions from four different ends, absolutely yes. So, first up, let's see if we can like go through this in a in a fairly like um, like not rigorous, but like trying to like be categorizing and like systematic in the way we do this. So the first thing is like model interchange broadly. Now this isn't unusual because model interchange will encounter so many different things. Um, I sorry. Before we like jump into this, I should like demarcate. We're not really trying to talk about the whole history of quote unquote pop music because that could literally extend to a tradition that is like centuries old and expansive and unbounded in ways that we, we couldn't deal with
1: also i'm not gonna we're not going to record like for three hours again
0: no no we that's can't just do not that.
1: happening Put them up for
0: <laughs> but what we can talk about is like the small subset of music that is like produced within the like pop entertainment industry industrial complex that is hitting the well, top we're of we're basically
1: charts. putting the same constraints on it that we are with all of these songs we're picking for k-pop
0: yeah, exactly. Um, in terms
1: of like markets of like commercial success uh, coming from slap bang in the middle of the industry. Uh, you know.
0: Yeah, and that actually have like a, a contemporary bearing on what we're listening to, we're yeah. taking the radio, the Spotify charts, whatever it might be. Yeah. So um, where to start? I think the easiest one and the one that fits most succinctly is model interchange. That's I think the easiest one to start with. And model interchange is something that is common in its own terms because like borrowing chords from borrowing chords that are strictly not diatonic it's just a thing that would happen all the time in R&B and jazz harmony like where as soon as you come up with like very very basic I will use technical terms like secondary dominant structures you will immediately start using chords that are not diatonic and that's entirely ty- ty- cool
1: if, if you like me cannot 100% keep up with all the technical terms don't worry I guarantee to you after a couple of listens if you just focus on what's different between verse and chorus, you will hear it.
0: Mm-hmm. And the example that I want to bring up for this is Lord's Greenlight. Fabulously successful track from Lord's latest album, Melodrama. So this is a track that starts off in, I'd like, this is a problem, like, analysing pop music, to try and figure out what the, the, the key centre is, is always a slightly hard thing, because Chord systems are cyclic, and that gives you a problem where, like, it's not going to a particular place. However, the track starts off very firmly with this F sharp minor feeling, pushes through this, like, three chord sequence. I
1: do my makeup in somebody else's car. We order different drinks at the same bars. I know about what you did and I want to scream the truth
0: and we're in the natural minor and then the second half just sort of uses a couple different chords we're still very firmly in f sharp natural minor the chorus which which starts sort of hitting at about 50 seconds you can feel definitely it's changed to major that's not in and of itself remarkable like stuff modulates to major all the time like oh no we have a sad verse and we have a a major chorus that's not like stunning so the very simple trick it does though is if we were to just like move to our relative major um a major if we were just to modulate over to a major um we would we wouldn't actually have this first chord which is the um g major Um, We've modulated from this sort of F sharp minor slash A major to A mixolydian. Which is why, if you look on the Mixolydian Wikipedia page, it lists um, Lord's Greenlight as one of those tracks in Mixolydian, because it's because as soon as it moves to the chorus in the second half of the song, pretty much, yeah, it's just gone through a model interchange to like move itself over to a Mixolydian, which means you get the like, uh, what I think is like less, um, maybe slightly less overly bright saccharin to something more like considered and like understated.
1: This is like. This is like when we were trying to describe how G can be so bubblegum and not fatiguing because it's secretly in minor. Yeah, uh, it's the its a salt on a sweet. It's a salt on a dessert.
0: Exactly. It's the the way of like slowly taking, ramping down the brightness very slightly to have like a different emotional feel to this bit of songwriting. Mm-hmm. So that's just like one basic example where like modal interchange from this sort of—I uh, should be clear—F um, uh, sharp minor. And a uh, major are what we call enharmonic. They are have they have the same notes in them. They are each other's relative major and minor. So if you were just doing a straight major to minor, you'd expect to s- keep the same notes and just move smoothly from one to the other. But no, mm-hmm. this track decides to have this modal interchange in order to just like push slightly um, uh, push slightly on the um, the change in um, the change in emotional feeling. Um, now, maybe let's talk about chromaticism and bass because like this is that was like one example of just like I'm not going to try and pull up many examples of modal interchange of pop music because they are like so varied and so like vast in number um what I do want to do chromatic bass lines and start pulling up um trap tracks now trap is a genre that like has interesting modes in it as well, but that's mostly just like not adjusted modes it is just like. Lydian is a mode that isn't com- commonly heard in pop music. Uh, Phrygian is a mode that isn't commonly heard in pop music. Trap likes it because it puts in and keeps in the harmony all sorts of chromatic systems that sound really cool and really dark and really menacing, and that's like Trap's sound world. But just the main thing is that like it means that you get tracks that are built around those chromatic bass lines as well as those like standard but darker and less common modes. So let's link Playboy Kai's flatbed freestyle.
1: she been lashing <laughs> in some white ref
0: this is a very standard um, trap track that just happens to be, because some tra- uh, trap tracks are written this way, in Phrygian as a mode, which is a standard mode, but just a less common one, and has that very characteristic darkness where pretty much all the degrees of the scale that are up for grabs the second, third, sixth, and seventh are all flattened, so you get this incredibly dark sound. And what you get as part of that is the um AOA hammering on a chromatic pattern. You just get the the flat second and the root note hammered over and over again. And that is your baseline, this chromatic baseline. Yeah, so like I'm gonna leave it there for like chromatic baselines in trap. I'm just gonna say like they are ubiquitous. So many trap tracks are written in standard but dark modes, and so many trap tracks revolve around these chromatic bass lines. Mm-hmm. The, the second part is adjusted modes and pop music, and this is where we start getting kind of interesting, um, and start getting really rare actually. So the first track I will pull up is Single Ladies by Beyonce. So, um, so yeah, let's have a look at Single Ladies. So Single Ladies is a track that, at its base, doesn't have a vast amount of, like, harmonic info in it up until you get to the chorus. The verse is extremely like strident, strong E major. The first chorus, nothing to complicate things, still pretty um, sparse. And then when you get to um, about is it fifty seconds in? So at fifty seconds we get like the full like electronic instrumentation for the like yeah. the, the the chorus. And so the things that you get are C natural in the bass line. um which is not in E major the best way we have to analyze this this track with the like strong major um in the like first to fifth degree of the scale and then suddenly flattening and then darkening up in the the upper half of the scale is our good friend the mixolydian flat 6 like this is how i hear and would analyze this track if i were were forced to again it's like Ambiguous, not like fully obvious, because like trying to read in exactly how that seventh is pitched is really hard. But um, this is the this is like the best way we have of doing it. And clearly, like major but flattened sixth is like a very unusual space to be working it. And like this is where I feel like an adjusted mode and like chromaticism and bass lines working together to like create like drama and tension and like something really unexpected and exciting in pop music. Um, The other example I will give is The Black of the Berry by Kendrick. Uh, Sorry, because not everyone will know. The Black of the Berry by Kendrick Lamar. And the reason I want to pull this one up is because uh, this is the best example that I can come up with of a Western track actually using the Phrygian major scale, but without attempting to evoke a sense of exoticism, but instead using it to evoke a, like a drama and a darkness, but while being major, which I think feels kind of noxious. I think that's the best way I could describe the way it's used in Black of the Berry. Mm -hmm. So what we're listening for is um, the fact that the bass line that we're hearing, or the guitar part, leads with the root and the major third, and then shifts to play the flat second and the four. So we've got a scale that starts Root, flat second, major third. So we've got that very characteristic gap, three semitones between the the flat second and the major third. But we're still in major. We've still got all the incumbent like brightness associated with that. Um, so the best way I have of at least describing the sort of harmonics, the sorry, the the mode of the verses are very much the um, this adjusted mode of of a Phrygian dominant or Phrygian with a major third. again, not to evoke the exoticism, but in order to create this sort of, like, noxious, like, twisted version of a major. Um, So what else have we got left? Now we've basically got the sort of stuff that, like, uses um, chromaticism to, like, confuse... So so what we've described is, like, two strategies in in Western pop music for, like, for getting this sort of harmonic flavour and interest that relate to this. So we've got... um, in Lords, we've got Model Interchange. In the playboy Carti, mm-hmm. we've got um, standard but dark modes and chromatic bass lines. In the Beyoncé and the Kendrick, we've got um, adjusted modes. And I think the last place to go is just sort of like, are there any tracks that like rely on chromaticism to the extent that they're like not really diatonic at all? Hmm. Like, ambiguous. Are there any tracks that do this sort of like implicit model interchange where it's not like we're just sort of like moving back and forth as the exotrack does between major and minor in the same chorus but like different sections are felt differently
1: mm-hmm. or
0: there are modulations or something like that and coincidentally this is the best I have to offer is Charlie XCS's Vroom Vroom Let's ride. <coughs> so this is clearly not doing the exact same thing but i'll try and w- walk through what i think it is doing we've got an we've got an intro riff which is chromatic we've got a bass note of a d what I'm, i think is the key center And then we've got, like, tritones and awkward intervals that don't really give us a sense of what scales are being used. And we still don't know what scales are being used because as soon as we get to the verse, we've got no harmonic information at all. And so, like, we're left in this completely, like, unmoored tunnel space. Until we get to the chorus, we, like, slam into a completely unrelated key.
1: Yep the highway come on let's go for a drive Oh uh. my life i've been waiting for a good time a good time let me ride let me ride I, my life i've been waiting for a good time a good time so let me ride let me
0: ride we slam it into b major um there is nothing connecting the d to the b major but we've just like juxtapose these completely unrelated keys, but with the gap of zero harmonic content in the verses in the middle. And this is the sort of trick that this producer, Sophie, wonderful, wonderful producer, maker of a mix of extreme, weird, very queer um, experimental dance music, as well as production for a bunch of pop artists. Mm -hmm. is like one of her trademark things is this sort of like rampant abuse and juxtaposition of... Of like very for, uh, forthright strong um, harmonic sections, but also like zero harmonic information in others um, and a gleeful interchange of them. I wouldn't be surprised if Sophie has listened to a lot of K-pop, specifically because the sort of scene that she comes out of, PC music, has a reputation from borrowing very heavily from like cheesier, in commas, forms of pop music. Um, I think they're, they're a really interesting place to go is that was one of the genesis's of a new school of very experimental very brash pop music so in just in terms of another totally unrelated modulation the um the sort of what i'd call the chorus if the very obviously b major section was the pre-chorus maybe then the chorus which is the so
1: let's ride bitches know they can't catch me cute sexy and my ride sporty those slugs know they can't catch me
0: slipped back into e-flat minor maybe um again the 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 like the part sort of slides over the over the third and i think lands on the minor third again this is all super ambiguous Mm. what i'm trying to communicate though is this is like pop tracks that work through like in this case modulation changing the key center all over the place um rather than model interchange but just like clearly a lot of chromaticism and a clearly a lot of harmonic ambiguity is part of what makes it work um yeah. and then i'll you go for another um sophie produced track which is the vince staples and Kendrick lamar track yeah right boy yeah right yeah right yeah right
1: boy yeah right yeah right
0: Yeah, this is the first one I linked to you because I think this is one of those that, like, lits together some of the approaches most closely to how K-pop would, which is bizarre to say for a track that's, like, very much the lead single off a rap record made by a West Coast rap rapper with a feature by Kendrick fucking Lamar. Well, oh, yeah, surprise. But yeah, no, like, s- for some reason, somehow this is the, f- the feeling that I get from it. it. Like, relates much more closely to the sort of, like, approach to complexity in songwriting that you get from from, oddly enough, EXO, or maybe ITZY. So, this track has very little harmonic information beyond the super distorted 808 at the bottom of the track blaring a, what I think is a B. Again, what you'll find with a lot of these tracks is um, that the, the harmonic information is made ambiguous because of the way that timbre works when you're doing dealing with like instruments that aren't like lead instruments that are meant to be voicing specific pitches. So overdriving drums to give them a pitch will sound much more ambiguous than like imagine a cello or a voice trying to sing a specific pitch or play a specific mm-hmm. pitch um same with all the sort of like weird swipy bassline stuff that in monster really definitely does sound out that ostinato pattern whereas this is like very much sort of like it's clearly pitched but it doesn't have sorry it's clearly like in a particular register but it doesn't have any harmonic information to it it's like noises rather than pitched musical material
1: which probably counts for the prevalence of these being uh these songs being described as uh complicated without any further (laughs) details because it's hard to because they're yeah it's
0: very hard to produce further analysis on stuff that like doesn't lend itself to the vocabulary that we're familiar with which is tonality
1: well okay doesn't lend itself to things that they're that we're used to describing in western music
0: yeah exactly like having vocabulary for like the sonic importance of timbre or the interrelation of timbre and um harmony is really really hard mm. so the thing that we get in this track we have this blaring b natural sorry we get this blaring b aoa bass line with some um cool chromatic adjustments in the, the chorus in the midsection about one, 120
1: which I described when listening to this as oh this is the closest to just like a weird K-pop turnaround that you've sent me for a while that's in English
0: Yeah, um, it's, it's this weird, like, kind of, how could you describe a sort of flume and Sophie production in characteristic times? It's like airy, breathy, light, but still kind of lush somehow, like a very digital na- natured lushness. It's cool. Um, with this. Weird, affected vocals.
1: Well, actually, think of it as like a real, uh, as like a more electronically influenced and distorted version of Monsters' vocal breakdown.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, like this sequence is like, how would you describe it harmonically? Like, I'd probably say it's in um, G sharp minor. Like the the important point though is that it in in this very like natural like natural minor harmony that we've got, it lands on a B major chord. And suddenly it makes the rest of the track around it, which has been hammering that B, feel major In like recontextualizes the entirety of the track around it. It's like, oh, maybe this track is in B major. Mm -hmm. But then you've also got like no harmonic information to support this. So like, I feel like you get ghosts or implicit senses of what the rest of the harmony could be or what the harmony lurches towards and feels like out of recontextualizing it using a different section. And that's I think a really interesting trick. It's clearly not the same trick, but it's like gesturing towards the sorts of things that I think K-pop does when it like has chromatic baselines for introductions and then moves towards more diatonic material. Um and like allows itself for this sort of, as we always keep coming back to saying like this thing that requires like, oh the fuck I what the fuck, I don't understand that. What the hell? I don't understand that but I want to figure it out and I want to keep listening to it because it's compelling in some way.
1: Yeah. And and I think the the other thing is that uh, a second listen is markedly different to the first. Yeah. Because you're carrying that knowledge of what comes after and and you're carrying that context through to a second listen.
0: So, yeah, this is like, this is the world that we end up with Monster. It's a weird track that's got so much heavy machinery that like, we're struggling to, like, grow together. We've mentioned six distinct tracks, like, from very different parts of, like, Western and American pop music's canon that, like, find, a, like, like, sympathetic aspects in bits of it, but by no means copy it wholesale. While in K-pop, you've got whole tranches of the industry that are straight up doing the same tricks using this formula, which I think is remarkable, like... If there's if there's anything that we've arrived at that is like a distinctive form that is like um, unique to K-pop, this is it. Like this is the best thing I can find that is like. Of course, everyone is using elements of this. Maybe some tracks use it wholesale, but like the the frequency and like prevalence of K-pop smash it using this standard formula is pretty remarkable. Um, mm-hmm. and like that's where we've ended up with like. A new second wave of a template um, in the third wave of K-pop of what a boy, particularly boy group, but what a big, bold accommodation of vocals and R&B harmony into hip hop forms looks like. And it looks like Exo's monster.
1: Yeah. They fix, they fix, they fix the moist wrapping. <laughs> they understand where to put the wraps. They understand how to do the hair.
0: So much better now.
1: The makeup's all on point. They've liberated them from the box, if only to shop them in the back of a van. Temporarily.
0: So, like, production value-wise, this is just oh, so much better. Is there any, like, fun product, like... Like, general stuff we want to chat about now, or is, is it time to wrap up?
1: On Monster, I didn't really have anything. I feel like we should mention the dance practice video. The, the dance practice video and I use that term loosely, uh, imagine it in commas, is, has way more views than the uh, performance video that we linked and prefer. Uh, Although I will say that I personally listen to the dance practice version way more. And it was around, it's like, this is, I feel like the, the Monster Era dance practice video is the point where, is about the point where SM starts treating dance practice videos like a lower budget performance video Mm -hmm. that can that can claim authenticity and closeness in a way that a music video can't and like I feel like it's very much part of the like oh we're on top of this social media game now we're on this like fan challenge there's like a certain kind of interaction with the fans that the dance practice Video has become like it is, it has become not that it wasn't already at this point, like the carrot to get fans to just keep watching the music video over and over again. Like, it's very explicit in that this is the point where SM Entertainment and like a lot of other labels start going, okay, once the main music video hits X million views, we'll release the dance practice version. And it's not, and these are like practices that are very clearly filmed where everybody's been told there's a certain dress code, where the studio is lit in a really dramatic way that you would never actually do for actual dance practices. Everyone's already nailed the dance, like my guess is they're filming it, if not close to the time of the release, it's actually actively after it's been released because um, everyone knows the parts already like it 's a world of difference to the Lucifer dance practice video that we shared where yep. there are flubs. this song is not the final release version. they mess it up. Someone lets Timmin wear a stripy shirt uh, and just like
0: okay to be to be fair, even timon 's hyper produced version and move still included the stripy shirt, and i don 't know whether that was
1: <laughs> I think at that point that 's just because Timon was like respected enough to have his way in some yeah, things
0: you can just do a thing if you're if you're that big he's
1: yeah yeah at that point like he's just allowed to but like my point is for the lucifer video he didn't have to convince anyone of anything that was just the shirt he was wearing the day yep. but they decided to record it and that was the recording they decided to release as like a fun treat for their fans whereas by 2016 we've gone through the 2015 phase of sm artists all like making a recorded introduction where they all sit together and politely, like, say hello to the fans and introduce themselves and talk about the experience of filming it. Where it's, like, this... Where the dance practice video is this bridging point between the, like, insta-live and an actual, like, behind-the-scenes footage kind of thing. And this is just full-on, like, we're pretending it's behind-the-scenes, but it really is not.
0: Yeah. And this is, like... We haven't talked about it super extensively because we've been so heavily concentrating on the musical aspects and the sort of, like, genealogy and progression through music. But, like, this sort of intimacy boundaries between artist and um, audience and the sort of constructed artificiality, but also the, like, very deliberate... Constructed
1: authenticity
0: as well. But, yeah, this is exactly... It's the flip side, which is the, like constructing platforms by which you can authentically relate and the the means by which that happens and the commodification through which you can enable that to happen yeah. is like all part of what I think like some of the like social aspects of K-pop that like are genuinely kind of strange and unique and that have slowly been being imported to the UK uh, to the US and UK
1: yeah yeah it's k-pop fandom which like trust us we want to talk about it it's just also you know a year ago we made the foolish decision that we had to reel through the entire history of k-pop first yeah well we
0: we decided to go for the short only the last decade and ended up picking 10 tracks to just talk about the music we'll get on the big theme stuff next series which i promise we've already plotted out
1: yeah 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 <laughs> So you've got a lot to look forward to, and you want to do a teaser for, for what's going to happen next week? Because we're finally back to a girl group. Yeah, we are. I say finally, as if we didn't do that last. It's Red Velvet. It's one of these nights. And we are finally going to talk about, we've been promising it for a while now, like how girl groups get to explore a very tightly constrained boundary of uh, emotion and concept.
0: And how Red Velvet are one of the few groups that can bust that bust that like conceit wide open. Yeah. Um, All nice. right. So yeah, next week, Red Velvet's one of these nights wrapping up our like SM fetishism. Next episode. Oh God. <laughs> Not next week. Oh God. Christ. Next week. Uh, God, no. Next episode. <laughs> um, finally wrapping up our SM Entertainment fetishism um, with what I think is their new what well, they're like current most exciting group
1: yeah
0: uh, do i actually mean that maybe not i really like nct Ooh. yeah oh.
1: well that's just that's only because they cheat with nct and have put like three different boy bands together
0: yeah this is the problem okay uh this is the point at which again the stance side of us shines through and we were like who do i really care about more um i don't know That's a hard question to answer but like clearly you know where our allegiances lie yeah i promise we will talk about other groups from other other labels later But we thought this is, again, storytelling time. SM really did dominate. um, And the best way to explain the story is through what dominated and how it did. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: Join us next time. So, once again, I'm Claudia. Reach me on Twitter at at Claudia W-Y-L-O.
0: Take care and we'll catch you next time.
1: Oh, you're not going to do yours. Oh, okay.
0: (laughs) Oh, shit. Sorry, I blanked and didn't clock that that was a thing I was supposed to do. Um, Yes, you can find me on Twitter at Regression with three S's. And again,
1: again, follow the podcast at at Stan Ontology. I noticed that a lot of people are having difficulty adding the RSS feed to your podcast player of choice. We'll look into that.
0: We are attempting to get ourselves on iTunes as we speak. So, Mm Mm-hmm. All right, until next time.
1: Bye.